invite you to bow your heads with me, and we'll start with a brief word of prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful that we can come to you this morning and know that you have a blessing, an additional blessing, already prepared for each one of us. And Father, we pray that this morning, that that blessing would touch our hearts in a way that would help us to become more like Jesus. Father, bless those who are unable to be with us here this morning. You continue to heal them, give them the strength and health that they need. But Lord, those of us that are here, we are eagerly sitting at your feet, waiting for the blessing from your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You have your Bible, so go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. We are continuing the study of... 1 Corinthians 13, we have spent a large amount of time looking at verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, where Paul is going through the analysis of what agape is, analyzing love, breaking it down to its basic component parts. And this morning, we are going to look at the final verse in this section. We're going to take a time and look at verse 7. But before we do that, I want to share with you a thought from inspiration. This is from the book Christ Object Lessons, page 158. And it says this, a very thought-provoking thought for us. We may be active, we may do much work, but without love, such love as dwelt in the heart of Christ, we can never be numbered with the family of heaven. How many of you this morning want to be numbered with the family of heaven? And, you know, it's interesting when you look at this statement. I mean, I don't know about you, but I find the work of God that he has given us to do, being active in that work, I I actually enjoy it. It's a good thing. I enjoy working for the Lord. I enjoy serving him, doing Bible studies, uh, whatever it may be that the Lord might bring my way for us, for me to do. But she's telling us this morning that that work, if it is devoid of what we are studying here in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, that we will not be numbered with the family of heaven. This is, again, just illustrating to us that theoretical head knowledge is not enough for us, but there must be the experience that grows inside of our hearts where the love of Christ becomes what I am, who I am, and how I labor for God. That it's not just a mere service for God, but it is a service that is generated from this agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, specifically verses 4 through 7. There will be many Christians, many Adventists, who dressed the right way, who ate the right way, who talked the right way, and had a good head full of theological knowledge and biblical understanding that I believe one day will be surprised where they find themselves at the end of the 1,000 years. It's not just what's in our heads, but it's also what's in our hearts. Amen? If you want an indicator of your conversion experience and where you are at in your walk with the Lord, I suggest that you come to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, 
Look at those 54 words in the King James Version it is. And weigh that description with where you are at in your spiritual journey. And that will give you a good indicator of where you are at in your conversion experience. It will also probably give you good good information to start praying about in your devotional time as well. Lord, this is where you want me to be. Lord, this is where I'm at. Please move me to where you want me to be. So let's take a look at this section of 1 Corinthians 13 again. Just as a little review, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to actually read this this morning from the English Standard Version of the Bible. You can follow along in your own translation. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4, the Bible says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This morning we're looking at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Paul outlines four things there in his concluding remarks on this section of 1 Corinthians 13, where he's analyzing love. He concludes with these four things that love does. And he uses two words four times. All things. What are those two words? All things. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And if that was not enough, Paul says it what? And it's interesting to me that the last thing that Paul says in his analysis of agape, the last thing that he sees as he looks through the microscope, if you will, the last description is that it endures. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a few moments. But Paul tells us that it does these things. It bears, it believes, it hopes, and it endures. And it's interesting that Paul, Paul talks about all things. It's not just, he's not just saying a little bit or for a certain period of time, but all things. He uses the word all quite a few times in 1 Corinthians 13, if you read through it. It's all-encompassing. It's not just for a specific period of time, but it goes on and on and on. He uses that word, those words four times. Now, before we actually get into these four things, uh, briefly here this morning, I want you to notice how, uh, that, 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 that all things is related to three groups. Number one, we have to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things with our own selves. You see, there are times in our experience where we are less than ideal in our walk with the Lord, and in our relationships with others. And there are times where we may be tempted to get frustrated with ourselves and kind of maybe throw the towel in on things, if you will. But Paul tells us that we should be patient and bear all things, even when it comes to our own selves. We're going through a conversion experience in our lives. We're not quite where God wants us to be, but we are heading that direction. And as we are moving that direction in that conversion experience, there's this thing inside of us that the Bible refers to as the old man. And that old man is constantly 
looking to be brought back to life, if you will. When we are walking in the path of Christ, we are trying to subdue that old man, to crucify him, Paul tells us. But that old man does not oftentimes die easily. Sometimes he comes back and he bucks and he screams and he hollers for you to listen to him. But sometimes, and sometimes, he is heard. Sometimes he does come back to life. And sometimes he causes us to do things that are less than ideal. And at those times, we have to remember that we need to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things when it comes to ourselves. The next thing that we have to do is we have to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things with those who profess to be believers of God. You know, there are times in our experience where we meet people who profess to be believers of God, who profess to believe in the word of God, and they do one, they say one thing and they do another thing. And that's very discouraging for us. But in those types of situations, Paul is telling us that although it's less than ideal, although it is discouraging, and although it may uh, cause you to not be very happy with your relationship with that individual, Paul says that you need to bear, believe, hope, and endure with that particular individual who professes to believe in God. The third group of people that we need to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things with are those which is probably the larger group, who don't profess to have a belief in God or the secular people of the world. These are those that may be the hardest at times to show this agape love to because sometimes when you show them that love, it is not reciprocated. Sometimes when you show them that love, it doesn't do anything. But yet we continue to love them because we want to love them to Jesus. We want to love them to open up an avenue so that we can share with them the beautiful truths of God's word. So in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, we bear, believe, hope, and endure all things with ourselves, with the professed believers of God, and then ultimately with those who do not profess their belief in God. So let's go ahead and start with the first thing that Paul tells us here this morning. The first thing that he says is that agape beareth all things. It does what? It bears all things. Now, when you think of the word beareth, you probably, probably something that comes to mind is maybe like shouldering a burden, shouldering the way people have treated you and kind of carrying that thing around in silence. But that's not entirely an accurate description of what Paul is talking about here when he says bearing all things. In the Greek, the word bear literally means to cover over with silence. What does it literally mean? Cover over with silence. I really like the way that NIV translates this portion of Scripture. It translates bearing all things as it always protects. It always what? It always protects. Bearing all things, covering over with silence, and always protecting. What does this mean? I want you to go with me in your Bibles, and we're going to try to illustrate this to the best of our ability. Genesis chapter uh, 9. Genesis chapter 9. 
Genesis, the ninth chapter, we're going to begin at verse 20 and take a look at what does this mean when the Bible talks about burying all things, covering over with silence, or protecting others. Burying all things is what we're looking at. Uh, The Bible says this, Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, beginning in verse 20, the flood has already taken place. Noah and his family are in the process of repopulating the earth. And the Bible tells us this in Genesis 9. It says, And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Did Noah make a mistake, yes or no? Was it a terrible mistake? The Bible says he became inebriated. He drank a little bit too much alcohol, and he became intoxicated with that thing. Now, notice what the Bible goes on to say. It says this, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. So the Bible tells us that Ham came into the tent, and as he came in, he saw his father's nakedness. And what what does the Bible tell us that he did? What was the first thing that came into his mind? He went and told his brothers. He comes outside the tent, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is what we call gossip. What is it? When you're talking about other people's faults to other people, that's called gossip. The first thing that he does, he comes out and he tells his two brothers, hey, look what I saw, and he tells them all about it. Now, the story doesn't end there, but it goes on, and it says this in verse 23, and Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backwards and they saw not their father's nakedness. What did Shem and Japheth do to their father's fault? What did they do? They covered it over. They kept their faces from it and they covered over the nakedness of their father. So Ham, when he saw his father's fault, what did he do? He told other people. Shem and Japheth, when they heard about their father's fault, what did they do? They covered it over. They protected their father in his vulnerable condition. Verses 24 through 27, the Bible says, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Let me ask you a question. Who was blessed in this scenario? The one who uh, was gossiping or the one who covered over with silence? Hmm. Who was the one that was cursed in this story? The one who was, was, was a gossiper was the one who was cursed. And not only, listen to this, not only was he cursed, but his family was cursed as well. And that should give us pause when it comes to the faults of others. Not only is that going to affect me, talking about it and broadcasting that thing, but it also affects my family. It affects those that I'm related to, church family, whatever it may be. It doesn't just affect me, but it affects other people as well. 
So in the story, the Bible tells us that, or illustrates to us rather, that when we see a fault in our brother or our sister, the agape thing to do is to cover that thing over. And, in, and instead of talking to other people about it, we should get on our knees and talk to the Lord about it. Other people can't do anything about it, but the Lord can. He can change the heart of a man. He can change the situation. He can do what no man can do. Listen, we live in a sinful world, and we live in a less than ideal society, and we are going to see our fair share of hypocrisy both within and without. And the best thing that we can do is talk to the Lord about it and say, dear Lord, you're the one that's going to have to change the heart of men. I can't do it. You, for some reason, you've allowed me to see this thing. For some reason, you've allowed me to hear this thing. But Lord, I'm not going to take it any further than this. I'm going to simply lay it at your feet and let you do the one that does the work. And let our tongues do a little resting. Charles Spurgeon once said, and I think this is a very uh, good statement. He said, love stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on her lip. How many of you want to say amen to that? Right? Love stands in the presence of a fault, and it puts a finger to her lip. It is quiet when it sees the faults and failings of others. Listen, this is something that the Christian world really needs to adopt. This is something that Seventh-day Adventism really needs to adopt. It needs to be something that becomes first nature to us as God's people. You know, we would do well, we're all familiar with this example of the pearl oyster, right? It gets a little piece of some something dirt or sand or something like that. And what does it do to that thing? What does it do? Covers it over? covers it over and covers it over and covers it over. And it takes that fault and it makes it something beautiful. It takes that irritant and it makes it something beautiful and valuable. And I think we can learn a lesson from that when we hear about the uh, irritants in our lives, when we hear about things in other people's life, when we hear them about our own life, that we would rather than talk about them, that we would cover them over with silence. And I think that as we do that, we would find that we would have pearls of patience, gentleness, long-suffering, and forgiveness. Amen? Bearing all things, the Bible says, to cover over with silence, to protect those in their vulnerable conditions. But that's not all Paul says it does. He says that agape believeth all things. It believeth all things. I like this translation. It translates the passage that it is always eager to believe the best. It's always eager to believe the best. Have you ever met somebody who habitually believes everything that is bad about other people? Have you ever met somebody like that? And they like to talk about it. And, 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 and when they find out about that bad thing, they, they, they not only talk about it, but they try to find out as much information about that thing so they can talk about it to whoever's foolish enough to listen to what they have to say. That's not, that's not uh, uh, what, what the Bible's talking about here when it says it believeth all things. It is eager, the Bible tells us, to believe the best. You know, when you think about it, God's church in Revelation chapter 12 and, and 
uh, Ephesians chapter 5. God's church is described as his bride, right? Men, how do you like it when people talk badly about your bride? Do you like it? Do you encourage them? Yeah, go ahead. Keep talking about it. You guys are awfully quiet this morning. Do you like that when people talk bad about your bride? I don't know about you. I don't like that. Nobody's ever really done that to me, but I'm sure at some point maybe it's going to come. But, you know, if somebody talks bad about your bride, you get a little offended about by that. You get a, Maybe you get a little righteous indignation, and you try to set that person right because that bride, your bride, is a very important person in your life. And the church of Christ is the bride of Christ. And I want to tell you something this morning. The Lord doesn't take very kindly to those people who pull down and talk badly about the bride. Rather, the Lord appreciates when we do our best to find the good rather than the bad. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 4, the Bible says this, Since thou was precious in my sight, thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. This is the Lord talking about his people. Therefore, I will give men for thee and people for thy life. The Bible tells us that we are precious. His church is precious in his sight. And we should do well to take good care of God's bride. Amen? Charles Spurgeon put it this way, another interesting quote from him talking about love. He said, love, though it will not speak an untruth in praise for others, yet has a quick eye to see the best qualities of others. It has a quick eye to see what? the best qualities of others, and it is habitually a little blind to their failings. A little blind to what? Her blind eye, he continues, is to her fault, and her bright eye is for the excellence. Amen? Really, that's how it should be. We should have an eye that is quick to see the good and an eye that is a little dim to see the bad. Now listen, I've mentioned this already. We live in a less than ideal world. We're going to see things that are not the best, but we would do well to take the bad to the Lord in prayer and and, 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 and take the good and look for the good and talk to other people about it. You know, it's interesting when you think about it with children. If you're always talking to a child about what they do bad, what's that child going to do? He's going to do do what you're talking about, right? But if you look for the good qualities in that child and you praise them for those good qualities and you appreciate them for the good things that they have done while still correcting the times where they need instruction, what's that child going to do? They're going to grow. They're going to flourish. And by God's grace, if they're continued to be trained in a godly way, they will grow to do the good things naturally. It's no different as we get older. You know, we become adults and we kind of think we grow out of these things. But it's no different as adults. When we talk about the bad, that's what ends up happening. But when we build up the good, that's what ends up happening. And that's what we want to do. We want to have an eye that is eager to believe the best and to see the best. Listen to this from Sons and Daughters of God, page 348. It says this, the truly converted, the truly what? Man has no inclination to think or talk of the faults of others. That's something to take home and think about, isn't it? 
the truly converted man or woman has no inclination. In other words, it doesn't even enter into their minds. It's not something that they're used to. It's not something that they are accustomed to, to talk about the faults and failings of others. Rather, what they are accustomed to is looking for the good and talking about that instead. Believeth all things. He is eager to find the best in his people. Did Jesus find, look for the best in his disciples? Was there a lot of bad that he could have talked about? Was there a lot of bad that he could have reproved them for? Of course there was. But Jesus chose to find the good qualities. And look what happened. As they grew in their spiritual experience, they became these mighty men of God that turned the world upside down. When there seems to be nothing good to believe in anymore, the next thing that the Bible tells us that agape does is it hopeth all things. It has hope. It is always hopeful, is how another translation puts it. You know, by this time in your laboring with other people, trying to show them love, bearing with them, believing in them, you might have run into a bit of a roadblock where that individual is not responding to your love. Maybe they're still, you know, you know treating you in a not-so-kind manner. And at that point, after you've bore with them and you've believed in them, the only thing that you have at that point is to now hope. Hope in God that he can do something that you cannot do. This is, where, this is where love really starts to become powerful. Because, listen, you can, I mean, you can bear with people and you can believe in them. You can cover over their, with silence their faults and you can try to look for the best. But when people persist in doing things that annoy you and make your life difficult, it is hard to hope in, hope in God. It is hard to see that there can be a change that can take place. But I'm a living testimony of the fact that when somebody hopes in you, it can make a powerful difference in your life. When I was in high school, my sophomore year, I went to a Christian boarding, Adventist boarding academy. In my sophomore year, about halfway through, I had done some things that the school was contemplating kicking me out. And they probably had, you know, good reason to do that given the given the circumstances for a year and a half i had been there and i had not responded to the training that they were trying the, the the opportunities to grow and to become a better person and now i was at the point where they had good reason to send me down the road to another place but somewhere in some room at some staff meeting there was somebody who said listen let's Let's give them another chance. Let's, let's give them one more chance and hope that God can make a difference. And so they let me come back. And for another year, I was in that environment until I found myself sitting in a week of prayer. I don't remember what the guy was talking about. Some old guy came to talk to the young people, sitting there listening to it. And at the end of that week of prayer, I found myself responding to the appeal to give your heart to the Lord and be baptized. Began studying the Bible and I found out that God has much more that he can offer than the world could ever give. And at the end of my junior year, I gave my heart to the Lord and I directly attributed that 
to people hoping that God could change my heart. What would have happened if they had just sent me down the road? I don't know. Only the Lord knows if they, what would have happened if they had just sent me down the road. But I praise God to this day that that staff meeting was God-led and that they gave me another chance, that they hoped in the ability of God to change the heart of a young man. Because now I stand before you as a pastor. Praise God for hope. Amen? Love hopeth all things. Agape never considers a situation hopeless because agape understands that with God all things are possible. And where there is breadth, there is hope. Even though it might not seem like a very good situation, as we hope in God, God is able to do things that are And maybe some of you here this morning have some of your own testimonies of how God wrought miracles in your life or in your family's life. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. And Paul concludes this section of 1 Corinthians 13 by saying that charity endures all things. The New Living Translation says that it endures through every circumstance. The NIV says it is all, it always perseveres. Let me ask you a question. Is it fun to endure? When you have a little spare time on your hands, do you, th- you say, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endure something today. If somebody asks you, you know, uh, you know about you know, what you enjoy doing. I mean, listen, we, we don't necessarily find enjoyment in endurement, in enduring something. By, by virtue of, its, of the word, endurance is something that is a trial and, and a difficulty to obtain. In fact, uh, not too long ago, several years ago, a friend of mine kind of turned me on uh, to an interest, of uh, a new interest of mine, to a sport called triathlon. You've probably heard about it before. It takes three disciplines and combines them together, swimming, biking, and running. Uh, the Kona Ironman, they swim for over two miles, they bike for over 100 miles, and then they run a marathon on top of that. Does that sound like fun? You want to do it tomorrow? It's your day off. Endure, it's, an, it's an endurance sport. And it's not something that you just wake up the next morning and you say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to swim for two miles. I'm going to bike for over 100 miles, and I'm going to run a marathon at the end. You don't do that. If you did, you'd probably die. But it's something that you have to build up the stamina to be able to endure for that distance. Endurance, by virtue, in order for it to exist, You have to take yourself to the point where you feel like you cannot go on any longer and you continue to go. That's how you build your endurance up. You get to the point where you're just like, you feel like I have to stop. I can't run anymore. I can't swim another lap. I can't cycle another half a mile. I just can't do it. And you push yourself to do it. That's how you build up your endurance. And the Bible says that love endures all things. Listen, you cannot endure all things if you're only loving people who love you back. 
That's not enduring all things. That's like running a mile when you run a mile all the time. It's no, it's no different. The only way that you can endure all things is by loving the unlovable. And you get to the point spiritually where you tell the Lord, Father, I can't love this person any longer. It's just not possible for me. I can't do it. And then the Lord says, continue to endure. Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength to keep loving. Sure, my grace is sufficient for thee. And the Lord gives you the strength and you build up your endurance. You build up your stamina to love the unlovable. Love endures all things. Romans chapter 12. The Bible says rejoicing in hope. Romans 12, 12. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. You know, you might find that when you're trying to love the unlovable, it's a bit of a tribulation experience. (laughs) It's not an easy thing to do. It's a trial. The Bible says we need to have patience in that tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. What does this look like, this enduring unto the end, enduring all things in our love? Well, if somebody gives you the rough side of their tongue, what does enduring all things look like? It looks like responding with something positive instead of responding with something negative, as we so easily do. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. We're still children sometimes at heart, aren't we? If you're going to talk bad about me, I'm going to talk bad about you. If you're going to say something mean to me, I'm going to say something mean back. That's not the way of agape. Enduring all things, when we receive the rough side of somebody's tongue, we respond in a Christ-like manner. What about when you try to show somebody some kindness and they persist in responding with unkindness? Have you ever had that happen to you? Finally, you just feel like you're going to get to the point, fine, if they're not going to respond with my kindness, I'm going to take my blocks and I'm going to go home. We're still quite, quite quite a bit like children, aren't we? No, enduring all things is even though I give kindness and I don't receive kindness, I continue to give even more kindness. Enduring all things. Listen, this is not humanly possible. Humanly speaking, we don't respond this way. But God has to give us the ability to be able to do this, to endure in our love towards other people. What about when somebody says hurtful things to you, just cut you to the heart, and you want to respond back and lash out at that individual. No, 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 we don't do that. But as we endure all things, instead of responding with that negativity, with another negativity, we pour on the coals of fire. You've heard about that, right? When you were a little kid, you probably heard children's stories about heaping coals of fire on the heads of of those who do bad things to you. Yes, that's what enduring is. Enduring agape is being kinder to others than they are unkind to you. That's what enduring agape looks like. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, Matthew 10, 22, the Bible says this, 
and you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that, what? Endureth to the end shall be saved. I find this passage interesting because we're oftentimes familiar with the concept of enduring unto the end and then we shall be saved. But the passage is in the context of people hating you. Hating you. You know, I don't know that we have very many people in our lives that actually physically hate us. But we will if we continue to remain faithful to God. And the Bible says that in that situation, when people hate you, that if we endure unto the end, we shall be, mm, this is not something we can do in ourselves. It's not something that we can just say, I'm going to dig a little deeper and I'm going to pull this out. I'm going to try a little harder. No, 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 no. This is something that has to be born of heaven. The, the, the greatest example of enduring all things is Jesus on the cross. One ridicule after another, one lashing out after another, all of the things that happened to Jesus, and he still endured in his love. James chapter 1 and verse 12 The Bible says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. Is it it tempting to give up on people sometimes? Mm -hmm, Yeah, it's pretty tempting. But the Bible says that if I endure that temptation, that I am blessed. Hard to believe. Hard to believe that if I endure in my love, loving the unlovable, loving the hateful, loving those that mistreat me, that I'm going to be blessed somehow in that situation. But the Bible promises that I am blessed when I endure the temptation to give up. For when he is tried, he shall receive the what? The crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Enduring or endurance is not something that happens by chance, as I've mentioned. It does not exist in and of itself. It doesn't exist when all is going well, but it is developed and manifested only under trial, stress, and strain. It is developed as we exercise patience in adverse situations. That's how we get endurance. It's the last thing that Paul mentions. It's the one thing that we need to work the hardest on in our prayer closets with the Lord, saying, Father, help me to endure in my love. Not not that kind of endurance. But with a nice smile on my face, returning evil with good. The servant of the Lord says this in Review and Herald, July 21 of 1904, in closing this morning, it says, The Lord desires me to call the attention of his people. Who is desiring this? The Lord desires me to call the attention of his people to the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Read this chapter every year. Read this chapter every day and from it obtain comfort and strength. Learn from it the value that God places on sanctified, heaven-born love. And let the lesson that it teaches come home to your hearts. Learn that Christ-like love is of heavenly birth and that without it, 
all other qualifications are what? Hmm. All other qualifications are worthless. All church positions are worthless. All religious exercises are worthless. All work that I might do for the Lord is worthless without the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 born in my heart. I don't know about you, friends, but listen, I don't want my work to be worthless. Nobody likes to do a worthless work. We want to do something that is worthwhile. We want to make investments in heaven. We want to make investments in this earth that are going to be seen in the kingdom of heaven. And so I think we would do well to take the advice of the little old lady who had a talk with the Lord. And the Lord said, remind my people to take a look at the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians every day, every morning. Start your day off. It doesn't take long. It's only 13 verses. In fact, chances are, if you follow this advice, that one, at one point, you will actually have it completely memorized. If you read it enough, it gets stuck inside of your mind. By beholding, we become changed. We realize that this is something that is of heavenly birth. Here's a little project for us this next week. I want to encourage you to pray and ask the Lord, Father, who can I show this next week a little 1 Corinthians 13 love to? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you look for somebody who's showing that to you. Because that's easy. Anybody can do that. But I want you to ask the Lord, Father, show me somebody that's maybe a little bit of a thorn in my side. And show me, Lord, somehow that I can go beyond the human into the supernatural. And show that person some type of Christ-like love that might just open the doors so that they'll be receptive to the truths of God's word because of them seeing the love of Jesus in my heart. And then also I want to challenge you to follow the advice of Ellen White and to start this next week by reading 1 Corinthians 13 every morning. When you wake up, first thing, get that chapter out and go through it. And take the time and let the Lord, let it just impress in your heart. How many of you want to do that this next week? Lord, help me to find somebody that I can show 1 Corinthians 13 love to. And Lord, speak to me as I each morning read the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians as I start my day out. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Lord, we realize that this is of heavenly birth and that without your help, there is no way in this world that we can achieve what Paul is describing here. But Lord, we understand that this is of great value. It's of immense value for the prosperity of your church, for the growing of your kingdom, Hasten your soon coming. Father, bless us to this end. Speak to us this next week as each morning we open our Bibles in our devotional time and read this chapter that was written by Paul. Bless us, Lord, this next week as we look for somebody who we can show 
a token of agape love too. Thank you, Father, for giving us this challenge and thank you for promising us that with you, this is possible. Thank you, Father. For we ask it in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.